This is Commerce Shenanigans, episode 518, a conversation with Al Ewing. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our episode, episode 518. It's our conversation with Al Ewing. Uh, he's the acclaimed uh, writer of a lot of books right now. He wrote uh, New Avengers, U.S. Avengers. Um, he wrote a great run on Ultimates and Ultimates uh, 2, I guess is technically the name. Uh, he's written some great books with Marvel, uh, so we were able to chat with him recently, and I do want to apologize for some of the audio quality on the podcast. Um, unfortunately, when we recorded this, this was uh, recorded on Friday, the, uh, September the 29th, um, um, I had a really uh, bad cold. I had very little voice, uh, but it was one of the only times I could actually sit down with Al because uh, he lives in the UK and there's a bit of a time difference. So I had to kind of muddle through it as much as I could. So I do apologize for that. Also, as we were con- uh, having our conversation, um, it started pouring rain in Toronto where I'm from and it actually ended up with a lot of hail. Um, so, so much so that uh, at times you can kind of start to hear it in the background. So I apologize for that. Uh, it was kind of an unintended consequence, but it was just so loud all over the house that it was kind of impossible to edit that out completely or even we tried to kind of minimize it a little bit, but it still ends up being there. So I do apologize for that uh, impact on the audio quality. Otherwise, it was a fun conversation with Al. Uh, so he got to uh, share with us, uh, you know, how he kind of got into the uh, comic book industry, uh, some of the books he's been writing, what it's been like to write them. Uh, so it's a, a very fun conversation to have. So I uh, hope you enjoy it you can always email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like the show on facebook rate review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher so without further ado let's jump right into um, a very sick version of adam chapman talking with al ewing uh, about uh, his comic book work enjoy al welcome to the comic shenanigans podcast how you doing today hey uh, not too bad i'm very so i just got got some work done and uh, then went to a local food festival so Oh, nice. That sounds like a good day. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a pretty good day. Yeah. Um, for a while now, I'm a, a, a big fan of, uh, of your work at Marvel, so well, I'm really excited. Well, thank you very much. I'm really excited to talk about it, but before we do, I always want to ask people, when you go to conventions, what's the most common thing that you're asked to sign? Um, well, these days, it's, uh, it's Marvel stuff. Um, but the thing is, there's there's a lot of different issues with um, uh, that, I, that I've worked on now so it's sort of it's generally it's generally the, the latest the kind of Marvel stuff that's come out sort of since I last went to a convention hmm. I'll get a fair amount of I get a lot of Loki issue ones oh really um, yeah I get a lot of that's probably the American issue I sign the most of is Loki issue one um and then, in terms of British comics, I do a lot of 2080s. I do a lot of like um, the uh, the Thrill Power Overload, the kind of 2080 history mm-hmm. that um, that I think had a there was a new edition of that out recently. And then I'll sort of I'll sort of sign things that are like um, big kind of volumes of uh, of Judge Dreads. Um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I don't, I don't even have to be in it because they're getting everybody. They're getting every 2008 to kind of um, put their signature on there. So, you know, there are things. I mean, I, I don't really have a problem signing uh, things I've not really been part of. If it's sort of a, if it's a little kid wanting it, and b, if it's something like that where it's you know just somebody getting everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what's good. But yeah, in terms of in terms of American comics, I'd have to say Loki issue one is still the one I get the most of. 
That's very interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I love that series, but that's not the one I would have expected. So it's really interesting. Um, well, what was what was your guess? Uh, kind of, I th- kind of thought it might have been like one of the Ultimates because that seemed like a. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Ultimates is the other one I get a lot of. I think maybe it's because I do sort of more British cons than American cons. I think Ultimates is a little more popular in the States. Hmm, interesting. Um, because I do get a lot of Ultimates whenever I'm in the States. Uh, but generally at the British cons, uh, I get more lucky. So interesting. Um, you know, I don't know what that says about. Um. Yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, it's generally it's generally a race between those two. I mean, I, I also get quite a few. Um, I get quite a few US Avengers these days. Quite a few US Avengers issue ones. Okay. Now um, you you bring up an interesting point. It seems like so you're getting a lot of issue ones of this series. Do they kind of just is it something about that number one issue or is there a I lot think, of? I think what it is is that at these conventions there's a lot of people there. Um, generally the ones I go to um, I go to the kind of big ones I go to the big UK ones Thought Bubble um, I do every year which is kind of the big the big British ones certainly in the north where I live uh, I do Glasgow every year that's that's probably the British, biggest of the uh, of the Scottish ones okay um, but you but, and you know I'm doing I'm doing others I'm sort of I'm trying to do more um American ones as well. I'm trying to. I go to New York every year if I can, and um, I've been trying to do like the West Coast ones as well. Oh wow! Um, but like particularly uh, Seattle and uh, Rose City was great. The one year I went, that was absolutely fantastic. Hmm. Um, so that was very good. But the thing about these these big cons is that there's so many people there, there's so many like creators there, and so people, unless they're going to bring like enormous suitcases, which some people do, but unless they're going to bring like enormous suitcases full of like every book they've got, they're going to stick to like particular issues at once. And the natural issue of like is number one. True. So like you know, if you've got number one of like a series I've worked on, then yeah you know you'll bring it along and like um, I mean I've had people bring you know every issue of a particular series that they like <laughs> and I'm always happy to sign that but I find I find when people like have a lot of people to see and a lot of people to get signatures of they generally bring a lot of like number ones and like special issues of particular interest that, you know mm-hmm. so you know I guess that's why okay uh, oh and the other, the other thing Especially with the US Avengers, there are so many variant covers for that. That's true, yeah. That was like <laughs> the, the Mad 50 variant covers thing, which I usually see the, the Britain cover because, um, you know, like I say, if I'm going to British cons, that was the one that uh, Forbidden Planet had a lot of. Um, but, yeah, no, there's. I always find myself signing a, a lot of kind of different covers of those. Uh, all the variants and you know things of that nature mm-hmm. okay well l- let's let's go back in time for a minute um, what was your cur- your first kind of interaction with comics when you were younger and how did that kind of spur you into getting part of the into the comic book industry and part of that field well 
I mean, when I was when I was younger, I think the the British relationship with comics is a little different from the American relationship because I think the Ameri- when you're a kid in America, it's you know, it's Marvel, it's DC, it's the superheroes. It's sort of um, maybe not on you know news agents ranks depending on uh, your age, but. Um, you know, it's it's more like whereas in Britain it was always a from the news agent. You um, these sort of little shops, you know, at the bottom of your street that sell uh, yeah papers, uh, cigarettes, sweets, you know, any bits and pieces you might need. Um, and they'd also sell they'd also sell comics, and you'd, you'd actually place an order with your local news agent and get them get them through the door. And it was it was basically these sort of uh, anthology things, these kind of, um, I mean, the, the Beano, that, that's relatively familiar to people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's things like that. I was, um, I was never that big a fan of the Beano because, uh, I always thought it was a little straight laced, a little conservative. Um, although, you know, obviously not all of it, there were parts of it that were just, you know, unbeatable. But, um, I was a big fan of a similar comic called Buster. Which uh, which I got as a kid, and that that was built around um, again one page humor strips, generally revolving around kids with gimmicks. You had like um, uh, uh, well, I just come up with some. There was there was Jackpot, whose thing was he he gambled a lot, so he was sort of every these little humor strips about this this gambling child. Um, there was Chalky who drew things, drew realistic graffiti. Um, I mean, when I say those were human, they weren't that funny. They were just sort of there. <laughs> but like, um, you know, it's always sort of kids. Kids with gimmicks is like a major, a major part of, uh, of British comics. Um, and I mean, when I when I did a couple of uh, bites of the apple with the the Braddock Academy. And there was a time when, like, every time Captain Britain would pop up, I'd sort of get to do a new kid from the Braddock Academy. And there were always these kind of, based on these British comic characters, where it was just, like, a kid. I think I did a kid with, like, a magic policeman's helmet. Or, uh, <laughs> the kind of Billy's Boots character um, who's, like, on magic football boots. It's like... And it's all it's all part of this, this tradition. But from there... And that's what I read from until I was about, like, eight or so. Okay. And then eight or nine, and then I got into 2000 AD, which was you know this this institution. But it's like it's this great comic. It's a comic everyone loves. It was just it just had a this reputation for being really good. Um, I didn't really hear much about it until my brother kind of brought a random issue of it back into the house. Oh, really? And I mean the wonderful the wonderful thing about 2000 AD was that it it came out every week, and it was mostly certainly around the time I started reading it I don't know if that's like the benefit of you know rose tinted sheltered glasses but uh, every issue was just like this superlative level of quality um, part of that because you know if you've only got like five pages a week to tell your story in it's very dense it's very action packed it's full of it's full of this very kind of quick very dry humour um it was it was just great. Um, so I very very quickly got into that. Um, I think there was a part of me that sort of understood very early on that people were sort of paid to write and draw these things. 
definitely remember when I was about 13 or 14 thinking that I wanted to be an artist. Oh. So I kind of like, I remember sitting down and trying to, um, my dad was a research scientist. He'd come back from work with these giant reams of computer paper, which had all sort of, all, all manner of like bumps from one side, you know. I, mm. I couldn't make head or tail of it. It was just printouts. But <laughs> the back, the other side was, was blank. So he'd bring back all of these like, this junk data printed out on this on this paper, which you know meant that we just had, as a kid, I had sort of endless supplies of paper. We literally had like boxes of this stuff, which you know, if nobody was going to draw on it, and even if people were, it was going to get you know it was going to get chucked in the recycling uh, or on the rubbish tip. And it was like, yeah, it was basically just free paper, you know, free. Um, just all, all the paper a kid, a kid could want. So, you know, I did a lot of cricket. And um, I kind of tried to sort of copy, um, you know, some of my, my favorite artists. I kind of, I can do a sort of rough cartoony style even now, but I'm, you know, anatomy isn't my best thing. Perspective, I'm not great at objects, things like a horse or a car or a window. I'm sort of, I can cartoon well enough to sort of tell <laughs> a goofy story, but I, I no, I was never going to be enough. Um, not unless I did like art A level or something, which I didn't. So. Um, <laughs> that's that. But um, no, I was I was definitely interested in sort of making comics from a very early age, and yeah, and yeah, it was 2000 AD that that got me onto that. Um, and the other thing we had, which might be a little more relevant to American interests, was DC didn't really do British reprints that I know of. I certainly can't remember any. Um, I think they had some sort of cardstock ones in like the 90s. Um, they had these very good quality things, which reprinted Animal Man but that was that was in the 90s that was after my time by then I was reading like real comics you know didn't need reprints <laughs> mm-hmm. I had the actual stuff um, whereas Marvel uh, Marvel had Marvel UK which you know of uh, Neil Tennant of the Petra Boys thing, worked for Marvel UK um, and they they did reprints they did reprints of like um, they did a kind of Spider-Man comic which I sort of started getting it, and two weeks later it morphed into a Spidey comic for like six-year-olds, and it started reprinting all the old Electric Company strips, the uh, the Spidey Super Story stuff. Oh wow! And I mean, I didn't know this. All I know, nobody, nobody like mentioned it on like the letters page or anything. I just picked it up like one day, and I, it was just like really basic. And I remember just feeling like, what's happened to Spider-Man? What have they done to Spider-Man? <laughs> and of course, because suddenly it was aimed at like four years younger than me, or whatever. Uh, but the other thing they did was um, they reprinted Secret Wars. Mm. And they had a, a British comic called uh, Marvel Super Secret Wars. And the wonderful thing about Secret Wars is on issue one, everyone stands in a line and says their name. <laughs> The heroes do it, the villains do it. It's the most wonderful thing. You go back and read it now, and it's just like the most gym shootery stuff. <laughs> it's just, even the way they stand in line and say their names, it's like, you know, the wasp kind of rattling on like, uh, and I mean, this, I would have been, you know, I'd, I'd have, 
there's not a very much of a gap of time at all between starting reading uh, Secret Wars, the reprints, and picking up actual issues of Roger Stern Avengers in the uh, in the news agents that have been sort of that have found their way over, mm-hmm. and you can buy them for like forty p, which you know is not a lot. It's probably about uh, one and a half times as much as an issue of two thousand AD would have cost back then. So it's it's pretty good for like an American comic in full colour with you know superheroes in it. That's not bad. Um, so you know it's but but it was Secret Wars that sort of started me off on this, and it was everybody. It was just the the simplicity of like here are all the heroes, here are all the villains. Now you know it was the just whoever had the idea of reprinting that in the UK, that would have made so many Marvel fans like for life, <laughs> and like the backup the backup strips in that. Because you got, you got like, issue one was just like the first issue of Secret Wars. Issue two was like, I think, half an issue of Secret Wars and then and then some Alpha Flight. Like some of John Byrne's Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight are just this huge deal to like British readers of a certain age. Mm-hmm. Because like they're one of like the top superhero teams. <laughs> because <laughs> there was a point where they were the only ones, only ones we'd heard of. And like there was a point where it was like um, Secret Wars... Alpha Flight and then as like a third backup strip and all of these are like American issues broken into chunks a third backup strip was that J.M. Donatello's Iceman series oh yeah where he like he like meets Oblivion and has like weird dream sequences yep and that was that was like a dark phoenix so it's like you know <laughs> uh, things that are very important to like British Marvelites are like Alpha Flight Iceman having weird hallucinations um, and like all of all, you know, all of the Marvel heroes standing around in these giant structures, shouting, "This is as big as ten Rhode Islands." <laughs> Meet on the two hundred and thirty seventh floor of this building that's as large as two hundred Texas. Is. And it's like, you read that now, and it's like, what is the sense of scale of this comic? It's completely mad. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on. No, no, that's okay. It's interesting. Welcome, welcome to the world of British comics. <laughs> I am. I like that you mentioned Alpha Flight. I'm a. I'm a Canadian myself, so I have a special place oh. in my heart for Alpha Flight as well. It is. It is fantastic. It's. I think that got a, so many people into into John Byrne. I remember moving from those old Alpha Flight backup strips to like his FR, and then you know, man. Then we started getting Man of Steel. Mm. So you know, that was that was an unintended consequence. Getting us all into DC. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I don't know. There was just a point where American comics got much, much easier to get. So how uh, did you how did you break into the British comics then? So obviously, like you you had a love for two thousand AD. Um, yeah. At what point you're like, I'm going to do this? It was, I think, just after. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it would have been just after I'd left university um, because I think they. When the year 2000 rolled around, the actual year 2080, either didn't change their name because they were on, I think they were on slightly shaky sales ground <laughs> and they didn't want to like destroy the brand. So it's still called 2080 even though it's now 2017, <laughs> which, is, which is hilarious, but you know, uh, it's all part of the charm, like, uh, like Sarge, the Amster, it's all part of the charm. Um, but I remember in like, uh, in the year 2000, they started printing these giant 100-page issues for the new year. And that would take the place of, like, every issue in December. Like, early in December, you'd get your giant 100-page issue, and that would tide you over 
and everyone got a Christmas holiday. And that's like the, um, you know, for the price of working harder in September and October, everyone gets a little bit of a Christmas break. And that's a tradition that's just carried on ever since. So in the in the big, thick, kind of 100-page annual thing for 2001, they included the submissions guidelines. Oh. And the wonderful thing about 2018, and this is... This is also relevant. I don't think they. I don't think they mind like um, Americans or Canadians sending scripts in, or you can send a script in for them anywhere because they take unsolicited submissions. If you can write a four-page twist-ending science fictional horror story according to their guidelines, and they got their, you know, if you Google 2000 AD, the submissions guidelines are right there on the on the web. You know, if you feel. Um, you might be um, it's, it's literally like if it goes into the slush pile it gets looked at you get some feedback even if the feedback is like no we don't want this you get feedback um, which is which is invaluable even just getting that letter saying you know oh we don't want this at the very least you'll get like a sentence why mm-hmm. you know why you failed and that that's like gold dust um, so I basically I started sending in a few shots and uh, I think my first one was Terracell and it actually it actually ended up getting printed um, when I first sent it in it was it was way too wordy and then I sent another one in which was basically just like a bunch of one pages and some some dumb jokes um, and you know I got a letter back saying yeah we're not so hot on this one but we like that earlier one if you could just cut down the verbiage you know cut every balloon in half um, just edit it basically just you know edit yourself um, so I you know I did and I sent it back and it, it made it in and and that was amazing because you know that was like it's like the gambler who sort of wins with the first um, or the second pull it's like uh, you know I, I, I had to keep going I just couldn't can start and you know, and then obviously I, I get rejected and rejected and rejected for like a year, couple of years, um, just like constantly getting knocked back, which is what happens. You know, when you have open submissions, mm-hmm. you know, have, it's like they've only got so many slots; they're they're not going to take just anything. Um, but after a while, I started getting more acceptances and I got rejections, and then from there it was like. And you know, I'd be sort of going to the going to the British conventions. Um, this is kind of one of the one of the dirty secrets of getting into comics is that you need to have a travel budget. <laughs> and you know, in British in British comics, you know, you can just take the train. I imagine in American comics, it's much harder because you have to get on planes, go to different states. You know, um, and it's. Just sort of meets, and again, you know, 2008, it's it's much easier because there's just there's just the one editor, and you know, you can sort of. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to like badger editors. No. But at the same time, you know, having having sold a lot of future shocks, I felt more confident about having a one minute conversation with Massness that was basically like. Uh, hi Matt, what are you looking for in a minute? And he'd be like, um, 
and uh, you know and you know usually it's just for a while it was just no just future shocks in a minute and you know, that was like my key to just keep sending a future shock and like and then I'd sort of ask the same question it was like actually what we need is a future war story and that was you know my key to sort of pitch a, a future war thing um but yeah, I think the turning point was he needed uh, he needed copy to fill a three week long slot, and so they see asked me to come up with something that would fill three weeks worth, fifteen pages. And yeah, and that was that was the first actual series I did, um, which was called Go Machine, and I think you can still you can still look it up online. And it was basically cyborg cyborg boxing. <laughs> And like a, um, it was cyborg boxing and probably my first foray into moaning about the Tory party. So it went, <laughs> it went down pretty well. Um, but yeah, you know, um, and from there, you know, you just get more, you know, I, I, I got sort of better gigs. I started, working on you know longer series um did a bit of dread and yeah and from there built up enough of a sort of visible presence in 2008 that people could recommend me for um american work i think <coughs> oh, sorry i think dynamite uh asked for me on the back of on the back of 2008 uh, the 2008 stuff and the dread stuff mm-hmm. and then I think um, when I started working on Marvel which was um, a couple of tie-in issues um, you know somebody um, it was it was one of the she basically emailed me um, saying and you know we'd, we'd met but uh, she emailed me saying you know can you work on can you could you see your way clear to Helping out with these tie-in issues, um, and you know, pitching, pitching some things for those, and yeah, that was basically off the back of I think Zombo, which is probably the most uh, successful, well-known um, series I I co-created for, mm-hmm. for 2018 with uh, with Henry Flynn. That's right. Uh, I'm always amazed Henry hasn't got more work in the states, but um, he's. He's very beloved and getting a lot of work uh, in this country. So. Okay. He's, now, you know, it's, not, it's interesting. So you mentioned that it's the the tie-in book was kind of that that first kind of step into Marvel. Yeah. What's yeah, What's it, it like was, to jump into something like that? Like it's an ongoing event. You're tying into it. Um, you know, using I mean, I guess it was the Avengers Assemble book. So, what was it like, kind yeah, of jumping in in the middle of that? Was it kind of like jumping on a moving train, or what was that like? I mean, on on the one hand, it was all part of a big event, but on the other hand, those were, and I think because it was Avengers Assemble, because it was, um, and there are so many Avengers, and I was sort of, I was asked, I was asked to pitch basically a Black Widow story and like another Age of Ultron type story, um, with like one of the main Avengers Assemble people in it. And so, I mean, that's, that's a very, that was a very good brief to get because it meant I could do, you know, a done in one 
and I'd sort of I'd, I'd had some experience with 20 I'd had enough experience with 20 pages by this point to kind of pace one mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I was still you know tuned to five page six page ten page episodes so I could you know I could make it very dense very kind of um, I could do a done in one and have it be you know a nice meaty chewy experience um and you know, and I didn't have to worry too much about um, what had happened previously in Avengers Assemble, okay, or what was going to happen in Avengers Assemble, because what happened previously, well, Ultron's taken over the world, and you know everybody's too busy to talk about it. Um, what was going to happen? Well, the whole Ultron business is, you know, will come to its end, and. Things will get back to normal. I mean, I think uh, not to spoil Age of Ultron for anyone who hasn't read it, but that is how it ends. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, and, and you know, I knew at the time I had a rough, a rough idea of. I think I'd read like I'd got PDFs of like you know the issues that had been done, and you know I'd got some scripts, and I had a sort of rough idea of like how it would end but I didn't really need to know how it would end I'm not even sure anyone actually told me because it just wasn't it just wasn't relevant no. I was doing like um, stories set you know as all the Ultron stuff went down and like immediately after all the Ultron stuff went down so um, you know it was all very um, I, I could quite happily just sort of do my my done in one story and you know focus completely on that and not worry so much about anything else Mm -hmm. and as it turned out that made for stories that people seem to get a kick out of and ended up getting more work and you know people got a kick out of that and here I am so moving off of uh, the tie-in, you get uh, an infinite comic that you get to work on, which is a very different type of format. Obviously, it's 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 very different writing style because of the way in which the art is changing. What was it like to be kind of brought in to work on that with Kieran? Um, that was uh, it was kind of mad, I think, because of it was it was still such a new thing at the time. I mean. Everyone had been kind of talking about it. Um, and, you know, you'd see on, like, DeviantArt places these sort of examples of things you can do with that format. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was... It was interesting. Um, Kieran kind of uh, did... had the basic idea in mind. And I think between us, me and him, we sort of worked out the plots. And then I sort of ended up doing the scripts. Um, but it was, hang on, it was, um, how'd it go? It was like Kieran, Kieran had the starting idea. Kieran and me worked out like what would happen in each episode. I break that down into uh, a number of screens and what would happen on each screen. And then that went to our, um, our layout guy. I okay. kind of, um, and then from the layout guy, who then, and the layout guy's job is to um, kind of turn the basic plot, the kind of the number of screens, 
to something that works as a as a motion comic kind of thing and then that goes to the final artist and um, but yeah it was just um, it was kind of mental like the deadlines went crazy there was a lot of uh, it was it was a very um, it was a wild ride I think what came out of it in terms of the digital comic uh, was pretty great um, I'm not sure it made the transition to print uh, that well but mm. um, it was designed to be a digital comic so you know I can't have too many regrets about that interestingly when we when I ended up doing it again um, with that Ulysses comic yeah. I felt like a lot of the a lot of the bugs have been kind of ironed out and I feel like um, they're almost they're two very different reading experiences I think the Iron Man one is much more kind of anarchic and sort of <coughs> you can tell we're flying by the seat of our pants and there's some crazy stuff in there <laughs> I mean there's so much in there that I'm, I'm still pulling from today hmm. because it was just this this madhouse of like of ideas um, I mean you know Kieran had all the stuff he was putting into it. I had all the stuff I was putting into it. You know, we had everybody was putting so much into it that it just became this. There was there was some. It was absolutely wild. Um, Ulysses, I think, is like. I feel like that was kind of. Um, that was absolutely fantastic and that was that was the one where I felt like yes now I've you know now I've done one that you know it works in print it works on the screen it's like it's got all these great transitions in it um it felt like we kind of I don't know it's like it's like being at the start of the golden age when everyone's going crazy and it's like we're all trying to do everything and then being at the end of the golden age we're sort of we know what we're doing now mm-hmm. oh for sure nice. and it's like this is comics and this is great <laughs> but yeah but we're still even with the Ulysses thing I mean we were still coming up with all these new things that nobody had done before which is the beautiful thing of these these infinite comics these these turbo comics or whatever whatever terminology you want to use um, they're still so new that um, and I mean I say that I'm pretty sure there's like, you know, 200 webcomics artists listening to this who are like, oh, oh you're not new. You're an old man. <laughs> you know, who are like really on the forefront of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of, certainly in terms of like the sort of the Marvel, the DC, um, Infinite Comics, it's like, yeah, you know, if I were to, if I were to be asked to do another one of those, I'm absolutely confident that, you know, between me and the, um, I mean, I've got to mention, like, the the sort of layout, layout person for the Ulysses one was Carl uh, Gazelle. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Who um, is just a genius when it comes to this stuff. Hmm. And, like, has so much experience with it. So, um, yeah, you know, I'd love to do another one with him because I know we just come up with even more new stuff. Well, for sure. But, like, it is, it is great. And, and you know, and, but the same is true with the Iron Man, Fatal Frontier. We were just, 
uh, we were just coming up with insane things <laughs> and like um, it was it was a lot of fun no and I still think it I still think certainly the digital version of it holds up holds up pretty well today now when we kind of roll back the clock and we look at you know 2013 you do Fatal Frontier and then we have um, your your Mighty Avengers happening, and then not that long after that, you also launched Loki: Agent of Asgard. So suddenly, you know, you're you're relatively new to the American comic scene, and now you're launching two new books. So what's that experience like? How did you pitch those books, and did they come out the way you originally expected they would? Um, I honestly, I, I honestly can't remember how I originally expected the books to come out. Um, <laughs> it's that long ago. But like, um, I think I, I mean, I know I pitched my Avengers with the idea of, um, Loki, I think was pretty close to how, um, I think it was fairly close to how it originally, relatively, I mean, but I know the, um, I know the ending. The ending to Loki, um, we only really thought of that when we knew Secret Wars was happening. Okay. Um, but up, I think up until that Secret Wars story, uh, we had that pretty much plotted out, except we had to keep um, uh, elongating it a little to fit in, to fit in the tie-ins and to fit in, you know, the the shenanigans of the Marvel Universe. Um, there's, there's actually a tell. If you look at the the cover of issue one of the Tenth Realm, okay, you see Loki's. He's missing a teeth. He's missing one of his horns. He's obviously just been punched in the face. Um, this is around, and that takes place between I think issue five and issue six of um, of his own book, and it's sort of foreshadowing things that. Um, didn't actually end up happening for quite a while later. Oh, really? Um, for, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole there's a whole story behind that, which is basically to do with um, uh, when the tenth round became a miniseries on its own. Um, my thinking about what I wanted to do with Loki in it uh, changed radically because there's a difference between doing a big thing um, in a tie-in and doing a big thing in a separate miniseries Mm. Um, so we ended up postponing that moment uh, to later so we could have it happen in Loki's actual series and it worked out pretty well um, and then with the Mighty Avengers, um, I think originally, um, and it took us a little, again, it took us a little while to get to this point. But the thing was, everybody's an Avenger, everybody gets an Avengers card. That was kind of part of the original pitch. Oh, really? And okay. like, that took a while to build. Um, I think originally, uh, and again, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff. We were sort of getting involved in a lot of things. Um, but yeah, eventually we did get to the point where, and I'm not sure we made it quite as, because um, originally when I pitched it, it was like literally you, 
the reader, you join the Mighty Avengers, you get your card in the mail. Um, it was like, it was going to be an Avengers team of something like, you know, a million people. <laughs> uh, most of whom would be civilians. And, you know, they'd all have their Avengers cards and they'd be like, they'd be Avengers, they'd be Mighty Avengers. Um, and we ended up doing that back some, a little. So you had the field team and you had the sports staff. And you had people with like Mighty Avengers cards who like were donators who kind of contributed in, and it, it became more of a kind of, I guess the closest thing would be something like Thirty Eight Degrees or um, uh, one of these, one of these organisations where you sort of, um, you know, you do you do petition online petitions and you kind of you pay towards projects and it's like it's a kind of political organisation where a, a, a collective a kind of a kind of community collective kind of thing mm-hmm. um, so it, and it was yeah and it kind of ended up it ended up being that and it was um, I think we got to do yeah we did we did a little bit with that but um, I think we ended up going very cosmic much more cosmic than we originally intended um, because A, having the blue novel on the team dragged things slightly in that direction mm-hmm. blue novel and spectrum you know they kind of drag things a little more towards the and two I think a lot of people were saying like oh it's a very street level team and <laughs> I don't know I, I guess I sort of the, the boundaries of the box the street level box became kind of so I was like yeah they're a street level team and also they're going to deal with all this cosmic stuff and like you know um, Cthulhu type creatures from beyond oh and when it became when it became Captain America and the and the Mighty Avengers because we started off with Axis yeah um, I kind of had this idea that like if you take a look at Captain America and Mighty Avengers versus the Mighty Avengers you see there are kind of like similarities you know the plunderer shows up uh, blue streak shows up but it's sort of it's it's kind of got a little weird it's got a little sour it's like so it's like the second series is kind of this dark mirror of the first series interesting I never thought of it that way and you end up so you end up with these sort of kind of Cthulhu-esque like and you know Gideon, Gideon Mace comes back and then he gets eaten by Cthulhu, and it's like, <laughs> you know, um, oh, what, what was his name? Oh, this is another, see, this is another guy from Fatal Frontier. Um, I forget his name. He was the big boss of uh, Cortex. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember. Which is me and Kieran, me and Kieran trying to invent a new, uh, a new company because um, we were thinking of using AAM, but then we didn't get wants to get tied down and all the AM stuff mm. um, so we invented Cortex and then yeah I you know no, nobody nobody was that interested in Cortex so I ended up just killing them all <laughs> uh, I, I have a question to ask about Captain America and the Mighty Avengers um, yeah go for it so that, that last issue before um, the Secret Wars kind of ends everything um, it's a, a brilliant issue or it's fantastic it's got so much going for it how did you kind of break down how you wanted to kind of go out because it's a really beautiful issue in terms of how 
everyone kind of deals with the end of the world in their own ways. And I just was curious on how you kind of decided to break it down um, with the, you know, the, the kind of the clock ticking down as we see everyone kind of dealing with it, with the support staff still being support even at the end, um, all the characters kind of pushing themselves, um, uh, especially Spectrum. Uh, that, yeah. The idea, that, you know, was... that she can live with things that, you know, if it's it's, it's worth it if to, to, to save billions, it's worth what she's about to do. Like, how did you kind of break that down? Well, and make it yeah, work. And she ends up, she ends up not being able to do it. No, um, <laughs> Well, I think that was, I think that particular thread was just the end of the kind of arc um, we put her through, where she kind of, you know, she's sort of a bit, a bit harder and tougher, and um, and she kind of. So first she accepts all the next wave stuff, mm-hmm. which she tried to put behind her, and then she accepts that she's not, you know, she's not a killer. She's not, you know, um, she's not that. She's not entirely that person either. So it's like, um, but yeah, but also it was, you know, it was an end of the world beat. We wanted to. Um, You know, we want we wanted to like get in with all of the all of the kind of difficult choices and world destroying that have been mm-hmm. going on in the other Avengers books. You know, we wanted a little taste of that. What's it? Um, so it's that as well. But in terms of in terms of how those last two issues shook out, basically, the idea was we had four issues to tie into Secret Wars, and you know, we could do like last days, we could do you know, Battle Worlds, Warzone, whatever they were called. Um, the different types of tie-ins and I think with Loki I just did straight last days because you know that that tied in very nicely with how we wanted to end things with Mighty Avengers um, I wanted to do a a kind of set on battle world story and that was Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders the two-parter Mm-hmm. Which is another one I, I still signed a lot of. Um, but also, I think we were very keen on doing a last days thing. And yeah, it was very much based on the idea that we'd, that we'd been running with, that like everybody on the, the Mighty Avengers team was the team where everybody was an Avenger. It was like, it's where, you know, you could be an Avenger. And that was, that was something I knew going in was that we would end it with the reader um, with you know the reader's last moments and I had to kind of you know plan out how we could include you know include everybody so like nobody would be able to pick up this thing and um, and of course uh, I failed because whoever is in that final sequence is somebody who can hear. So, unless they're, unless they're lip reading. Um, but, no, the Doctor keeps turning his head away, so... Yeah, so we didn't quite make it. Mm. Um, but uh, the idea was uh, that... Oh, and also it's, you know... It's somebody with eyesight. Um... So yeah, so it's not perfect, but the idea was 
you know, it, it would be the reader. Interesting. Um, you know, the reader, it would be, we want to make as easy as possible for the readers to put themselves into that situation. Okay. So like, we have a lot of, a lot of fake talk about, you know, uh, the doctor not knowing if, like, you actually live in New York or if you've just traveled here from somewhere else. Um, but yeah, and, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of the countdown thing, I think issue eight was, we were wanting to run it across two issues, but I think issue eight ended up dealing with how the Mighty Avengers fit, fitted into the kind of time runs out thing. Yeah. Hey, you you uh, saw how many days to, to live were left. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, that was a thing. I mean, I kind of nicked that off, uh, Christopher Priest, who mm. it's something he did on Black Panther and he did it in a couple of Quantum and Woody, I think, as well. He did it in a couple of other places where he'd have these sort of like Frasier type, um, like, like the title, you know, ca- title cards almost. Title cards. He's, he's still um, doing, he's, he's still doing that on Deathstroke. Oh, cool. I really like, I really like that he does that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I know I've, I've borrowed, I've borrowed that a couple of times, you know, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, everyone's aware it is a borrow. Everyone's aware he's the king of that particular, uh, particular move. Um, but it was, it just felt really useful in terms of telling, A, the countdown thing, and two, books that were like a lot of seats in that I, I wouldn't I could do something that was maybe had a little more gravitas had a bit more um, was a bit more visually interesting than just like little time captions and something that could really separate out scenes and kind of um, make them work and then when we got to the last issue oh, I was doing my research and it was like I, I, I had to kind of do loads of research just to tell whether it was like, hang on, do we do we have like a day? Do we have like an hour? <laughs> you know, um, do we have like a week? What's the what's the time frame? And I think it's I think it shook out as about because it's like the incursions last like eight hours, but I think the last by the time the last one rolls around, they sped up. Yes, and I'm, I'm absolutely certain that I remember reading that in like the original Jonathan Hicks. I'm um, pretty sure you're so right yeah, there. The um, so yeah, I, I I made it like an hour um, because you know I had like um, <laughs> and you know I know, I know there are other people who like it was eight hours, but you know yeah. <laughs> continuity's never an exact science. No, it, it's, oh. it's a suggestion, right? Exactly. Um, no, but I, I, yeah. So we had we had like an hour, and I figured we had the, this one issue to do the do like little. Um, so I'm looking at I'm looking at Twitter and. Uh, Okay, no, somebody's name came up and I thought they'd die. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Someone, yeah, someone, someone's, uh, someone's name was trending and I thought he'd die. Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, turns out, turns out he's just being a bit of an 
lost on the telly. Uh, but um, yeah, we uh, we kind of ended up with this. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought we I thought we did it justice. We kind of managed to. I mean, it was. I think it was Luke Luke Ross who. Um, yes, it was. It was. It was, uh, it was a fantastic issue. I really enjoyed it. I think. Did that. I, I think well, it did, thank I, you very much. I think it did succeed, I, and uh, yeah, it was. It was really moving. I was and, very happy with it. And using um, the, the the timey way it, you did definitely made it seem again more meaningful because you knew that the time was clicking down, but but the characters didn't know, but you knew, and then you yeah. see them fighting on, and then it's just over. Well, I made sure I made sure to have um, a speech from the president at the start, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the few times his face has actually been on panel. I think you're right because usually it's partially um, obscured or it's in it, shadow. Any president, I mean, it's generally, you know. Um, I think Clinton, I think Bill Clinton was was on panel a couple of times, but yeah, generally you don't you don't put the president's face on. You kind of obscure it mm-hmm. or have it in the shadows. Um, I'm assuming so. You know, when somebody picks up the tray, uh, Marvel time doesn't hit them over the head. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so um, they pick up pick up a tray nine years later. Um, but yeah, no, we had we had a speech, which is your bog standard kind of. The heroes are on the case. I'm sure they'll. <laughs> I'm sure they'll do it. And it's like, no, they won't. <laughs> They're gonna fail. Now, I, I have um, actually have a, a listener question. Um, it's moving forward oh, okay. a little bit, a little bit, but it's about ultimates. Um, okay. And his question was: uh, Did you have the entire plot? of the latest Ultimates run mapped out from issue one, and how much did you have to clear with Marvel about setting the canon of universal structure post-Secret Wars? Did you have total free reign, or did you have any other grander designs that had to be cut back or cut out due to time or mandate? I had pretty free reign. I think everything that was in there, um, with regard to, like, the Celestials and uh, the early universes, I'd run past people. I'd either... um, I'd either laid it out, you know, to their faces, like, over coffee, or or I'd written, like, a, a long, rambling email and sent it through, and been like, what do you think of this? <laughs> and uh, got like, okay. Um, and so, you know, and, and obviously, when I send the plots through, um, then... You know, there is there is time then to generally there is time then to <laughs> like um, you know if if it gets crazy. But I mean, the thing is, the thing with these, I almost I almost did this on purpose, but it was like working at a scale that was so vast that there was no other toe it could possibly step on. It was like you know, if I say. You know, the Celestials were created like at the dawn of time. Well, you know, everybody knows that. Um, it's like, if I have like all these, all these like multiverses that were like before, you know, even Galactus's uh, multiverse, then that's completely outside the bounds of any story anyone else would want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, the only way any of this is ever going to come up again is if somebody does a sequel to Ultimate Ultimate 2. That's the only scenario in which it'll ever come up again because it's just so big. 
And I mean, maybe in some issue of Doctor Strange or I don't know if if they bring back Adam Warlock or if um, I'm trying to think who else is big cosmic. Uh, it's pretty much those two at this point. Kind of, yeah. Um, but if you know, if, if somebody decides to have a big cosmic vision, uh, then yeah, sure, I'm sure we'll see them again. But we kind of we kind of don't really have to. It's sort of it's kind of none of this none of this is going to impact Daredevil's life you know none of this is going to sort of even like um, even Thor you know it's like or, or Odin you know not it's, Odin's only been around in like the past couple of universes he's sort of um, you know he knew this is all before his time yeah even, even Galactus is like relatively new to the scene on the scale we're talking about um, and I mean, I kind of in the last issue of Ultimate, I like, I made sure to just put in a load of dangling threads, just a load of stuff <laughs> that like people could grab onto if they wanted, you know. However long down the line, but stuff like um, oh, what's one? I mean, the Omega Force, like, you know. God knows where that came from. Um, <laughs> Life, Lifebringer one, the first hero. This this idea that there's some sort of proto Galactus like deep in the before time mm. who was like the original superhero it's like you know that's kind of if somebody wants it it's there yeah but at the same time nobody has to be all like oh my god I better I better make sure to mention you know the fifth cosmos next time I tell my magic story <laughs> it's there if people it's it's all there if people want it um, I hope somebody uses it again. You know, put a lot of put a lot of work into it. It's like it's like baking a lovely cake and sort of turn all one a piece. You know? <laughs> I really hope somebody takes a piece of that cake. But it's like you know, nobody nobody has to. It's not a it's not a must. It's people can people can use the stuff. People can not use the stuff. It's all fine. Okay, um, I know we're running we're running out of time, so I got to ask. What what is it about uh, Roberto da Costa that really speaks to you? Because under your pen, he's the most interesting he's ever been. Well, I mean, that was built off of what Jonathan Hickman did with him. So I think he gets he gets a lot of credit for that as well. Um, he was always one of my probably favorite New Mutant. Um, well, I mean, Warlock is everybody's favorite New Mutant, but. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I think out of the non-alien ones, um, I think it was probably him. He was the most interesting. He was kind of this fascinating character. Um, But really, he's gone through, and then I kind of lost track of him for a while. I think there are some sort of late period New Mutants fans who are maybe kind of wishing that I'd, I'd take more from that period, but it's like, you know, I'm sort of, I know him when he started out and I know his most recent stuff you know under Jonathan Hickman mm-hmm. and it's sort of and I've got a rough idea of what he did you know I've got a rough idea of stuff like Rainfire and this ongoing quotation with Amara but um, you know I'm, I'm kind of happy to leave that where it is well I mean uh, and- although I was wanting to I kept looking for ways to kind of bring Rainfire in Oh really? Well, I, I was just thinking, it's such a mad idea. 
Roberto's got like an evil twin called Rainfire. It's like, why can't I find a use for that? And it just, the opportunity just never came up. No way. Um, which is which is a shame, but I mean, it would be something that you know you'd have to like point everyone at, Mar- at um, Marvel Unlimited and like you know, oh, I hope you've read, <laughs> I hope you've got a treasure trove of back issues from the nineties to understand this plot point. It's interesting so, look looking at some of your Marvel work too. How you know you you've had plot lines or characters that you've kind of carried from from different books to book to book in different ways. Like we've seen that. With Monica Rambeau, we've seen that with uh, the Sunspot, obviously from New Avengers and U.S. Avengers. Um, what is it about those characters that you kind of want to continue seeing them through these different permutations of different books and teams? I think I think I just took my cue from like seventies Marvel in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, one in most of my comics, somebody is going to get psychedelic eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a very 70s Marvel thing. Eventually, somebody's going to have some kind of trip yep. on the page. Um, and the other thing is that I I don't really see the kind of boundaries between one series ending and another starting. You know, it's like, I'm happy to have new readers that like issue one of a new series, but at the same time, it's like, well, feel free to go pick up the old trades if you want. Mm-hmm. Um you know, hopefully, um, I know. I know with US Avengers, there are a few people who like felt a bit like these were all sort of. I'm so. I see. I'm trying to kind of end some of my long rambling stories now. I'm trying to sort of have like the final ultimates ended with kind of the final thing for that sort of thread, and you know, no, no surrender in some ways will be kind of the last stand for which sounds very ominous and is meant to will be like the kind of you know an, an ending hopefully a happy one for yeah. some of these other characters you know to kind of put them down let other writers have a go you know end this long rambling story because it was starting to I was starting to notice that people were You know, people would meet characters for the first time in an issue one, and they wouldn't be thinking like, "Oh, it's my old friends." They'd be thinking like, "Who are these D-listers?" Oh. Um, so it's like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe there's, you know, maybe there was a place for that kind of thing where you'd start telling a story in like Avengers, and then tell more of it in FF, and then tell more of it in like Defenders, and you know, then in two issues of Omega of the Unknown or whatever and you know maybe maybe there was once a time for that but now the time for that has kind of passed a little bit and on the one hand I like that there's this big long rambling mega epic that that people can dig up by like seeing what I've worked on but on the other hand I feel like that can only run for so long before it starts getting really self-indulgent hmm. I'm not saying we will never again see some of my characters pop up <laughs> like some psycho you know I mean I'm always, I'm always thinking you know could I fit Verity Willis into this you know could I fit Constance Molina into this <laughs> I, I think like, more Verity is a good thing because I love that character that would, that would be nice but it's like you know the, the, the kind of the idea of a sort of ongoing octopus of a story with all like tentacles running through different books I think at some point you've got to kind of 
draw a curtain over that and start a new story. And I think that's kind of where my head's at at the moment. I have two more questions. Uh, one is, okay. uh, w- what inspired you to bring back Outlaw? Um, I love him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Outlaw's just got, I don't know. It was just like, um, I'll tell you what it was. I was, I kind of put myself forward to pitch for this, the Contest of Champions book. It was literally like, who wants to do this book? And I was in the room and I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> And it was like one of part of the brief on that was uh, international heroes. Can we do more with like Marvel's international heroes and have like a team of heroes from like, all over the world? And for for some reason, I just my head went to like um, the British Punisher. And I mean, I'd kind of been I'd kind of been thinking about what Outlaw would look like these days, you know, for a while. If you look back at that. Avengers Assemble tie-in with all the British heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, Magic Big Smell has this kind of... Uh, this, like, yellow skull thing. And originally that was going to be... That was going to be to do with Outlaw. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, we just didn't have... We just didn't have room for the backstory. We just didn't have any room for it, so... Even on even in twenty pages, there just wasn't room, so it just became this thing. Um, but yeah, I always thought the British Punisher would have like there's a character in the Beano who wears a kind of yellow skull and crossbones on his chest, and he's like a really naughty kid, <laughs> and he's in he's in the Bastard Kids, and it's it's Danny from the Bastard Kids, and if you look that up on Google, you'll see like this this really goofy kind of yellow skull and crossbones thing. And that's the reason we gave Outlaw like a yellow Punisher skull with a crossbones underneath it, <laughs> because it was like, yeah, that is that's the British Punisher. The British Punisher has like Danny from the Backstreet Kids skull. Well, that's, um, that's funny. And then and then you know we we ended up putting him through this arc where he kind of so now it's like a, a heart and crossbones I think, or just a big a big heart on his chest. Um. But yeah, we ended up putting him through this thing where he didn't want to be a Punisher anymore. Uh, which, you know, um, and, and now I've got this thing, I've kind of, I've kind of set up this thing where he's sort of running around with Ares and Guillotine, like running around Europe as this sort of trio of heroes, mm-hmm. like um, the Defenders of the Earth. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, maybe somebody will pick, pick that up. Maybe they won't. Um, but it's like, yeah, you know, the, the the contestants from Contest of Champions, they're still hanging out together as far as I'm concerned. You know, they've, they've kept each other's phone number. <laughs> All right. My, my last question is, um, as we, as we uh, kind of draw to a close, is uh, what can you kind of tell us about, um, I mean, you're writing a lot of books right now. What can you kind of tease us about some things to look forward to in the future? Well, um, it's it's slightly bad timing because most of the stuff that I'm involved with at the moment I can't talk about it's yet to be announced <laughs> okay. but one thing that has literally just been announced this past week uh, is Avengers um, I was going to say Avengers Forever <laughs> I have to travel back in time to work in that um, Avengers No Surrender um, which is 
a weekly uh, Avengers comic. Um, it's basically it's a number thing, but not. It's basically the idea is that all of the current Avengers books merge together, and it's just it's just called Avengers. It's like it goes weekly for the duration of this epic, um, and it's it's basically. I think Mark Wade described it as part celebration, part wake. And, you know, we've got the beginning of the end plastered all over the adverts. So, and, you know, Avengers Disassembled has been mentioned. So it's like I was talking about ending, ending the big story, you know, drawing a close. I've, I've started that in Ultimates. Um, I'm finishing that in the big, the big, um, my my big Avengers story uh, is going to come to a close in uh, Avengers: No Surrender, and you know the one the big Avengers story that I've been telling since my Avengers started, essentially. Um, and also, you know, it's it's Jim's big Avengers story and his wife's big Avengers story. So it's like this massive cross-pollination of ideas and themes all kind of crashing together in this giant mega epic um, of, you know and by the time this podcast drops uh, New York will have happened um, I don't really know how much I can say with that in mind but by the time you're listening to this you will have a lot more hints and teasers you'll know a lot more um and, you know, uh, obviously by the time January rolls around, um, even more. It's like, I mean, I just I just wrote, like, um, today, this morning, I just wrote this climactic battle sequence, um, which might be... I don't know, it, it, I think, yeah, I think it does set the capstone on everything I've done with the Avengers up to this point. Wow. So, there we go. There's your quote. That's a good one. That's uh, something big to look forward to. Yeah. Um, it'll be good. It'll be good. I we, We've been working in secret on this since about February, I think January, February. Wow, that's actually a pretty long time. Yeah. And it's been like a major part of my life. So, you know, to finally see it, Emerge into the public consciousness is like, uh, you know, I'm 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 very stoked. I'm very pumped. I was going to use a pregnancy. Uh, I was going to use a pregnancy analogy, and I guess it actually makes sense because by the time it comes out, it will have been like you know ten months or so. Yeah. Um, Can finally yeah, birth, no. birth it into the world. I mean, I, I guess it's sort of. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it entirely stands up, but yeah, sure. You know, we've been <laughs> we've been keeping the lid on it for like um, uh, for ages, and now now people are finding out, and people are getting excited, and well, they might because it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. It is really good. Um, you know, we're seeing we're seeing pages come in the inbox from the various artists. <laughs> this is top notch work from all concerned, and you know. I'm not even counting my. I'm not, you know, not not bragging on behalf of myself there. I'm kind of like <laughs> everyone else is just like 
bring in the A game. You know, this is like absolutely gorgeous work from you know all the artists, and yeah, some great scenes. So yeah, you know, there's 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 the hype train. Absolutely. Well, I feel like we're gonna have to get you back on the show once that storyline ends, so we can talk about yeah, the no, wrap up um, to your to your mega storyline. Yeah, and then I'll have a proper conversation about the Avengers. You know, uh, the whole the whole deal. Excellent. Yeah, well, definitely, we'll do that. Well, excellent. So, Al, thank you so much for uh, spending an hour with us today and uh, no talking about your work at Marvel. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, what's going to happen. And uh, hopefully we can have you back when it's all over to kind of do a, yeah. post, a post-mortem. I will I will come on and I'll, I'll do a post-mortem. Excellent. Thank and you I'll so much. You okay. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks.